are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. I believe today that the power of God to change us is realized oftentimes in the preaching of the Word of God. The Word of God can do amazing things in our life. And I just want to preach from the Word of God today. And if I can say it like this, let the chips fall where they may. I don't know if that's a gambling reference or if that's an eating reference. But we're going to let the chips fall where they may. When I read Corinthians, it encourages me. It encourages me because it's so honest and raw. The Corinth church had issues. You didn't know that. When Paul writes this letter, he's writing to a church that has issues. A church filled with people who had problems. Doesn't it help you sometimes when people around you have problems? Doesn't it just help knowing they got problems? That's why group therapy is so powerful. Because you're not alone. Corinthians encourages me. Some say that, and most scholars believe that Paul had written a letter prior to the letter of 1 Corinthians. He had written a letter to this church one other time. They had written back with a number of questions, and Paul would then write back, and that's what we find in 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. This is where we start to build a pretty detailed picture of this community of faith, this Corinthian community of faith, and it was not a pretty picture. This early church, this young church that Paul had helped start, Paul was now trying to fix from a distance, and he calls out a number of problems a number of problems for all the other churches to read about. How would you like that? If I could pen a letter of all the problems we've been having in the church over the last several months and send that out to everybody, let everybody know, because it would make other churches feel better. But he identifies jealousy and pride, disunity in the church, divisions about worship, influence of sin, out of control in the area of spiritual gifts, doctrinal problems, sexual immorality, and the list goes on. Actually, there's 15 identifiable problems that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians. Paul composes this book 
carefully in five blocks of arguments. Each one addresses a cluster of related problems. But he begins the letter with the heart of the matter, the partisan division of the Corinthian community. The Corinthian church had begun to separate based on their preferred leader. And so he begins this letter, this epistle, by addressing the idea that there were some who were more prone to listen to Paul and others identified with Apollos and others were more better related to Peter, whom Paul calls Cephas. Now, we have that problem in our church. Some of you prefer Kristen. Some of you prefer Sister Reed, and she did a magnificent job last week. It's the saving time. I've yet to meet anybody who prefers me, but Paul... I'm kidding, I'm kidding, That's, I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm just begging for some attention here. But Paul begins this Corinthian letter with this rolling out of these, this, this division. And then he gets to this bedrock concept. It would be foundational for everything else that would be said. He begins the letter, and I'm going to pull out one passage here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. This morning, I just want to simply affirm that we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. See, the word Christ, Messiah, means the anointed one, and it's an idea that expresses power and splendor and triumph. The word crucified is an act of execution by hanging one on a tree or a post, and its idea is the expression of weakness, defeat, and humiliation. Christ crucified was the ultimate oxymoron. And this is what Paul preached. I read this and I thought it was interesting. Tells about a strong church. Once inscribed these words on an archway leading to the churchyard. Over time, these words, we preach Christ crucified, hung on this archway, and over time, two things happened. The church lost its passion for Jesus and his gospel. And ivy began to grow on the archway. The growth of the ivy covering the message showed the spiritual decline. Originally it said, we preach Christ crucified. But as the ivy grew, 
one could only read, we preach Christ. And the church also started preaching Jesus, the great man, Jesus, the moral example, instead of preaching Christ crucified. The ivy kept growing, and one could only read, we preach. The church also had even lost Jesus in the message, preaching religious platitudes and social graces. We preach. Finally, one could only read, we. And the church also just became another social gathering place, all about we and not about God. I don't feel comfortable letting the Calvary Church just be a we church or a we preach church or even a we preach Christ church. I want the Calvary Church to be a we preach Christ crucified type of church. Can I tell us today, you can't preach, you can't teach, you can't talk about, you can't pray about or discuss the cross too much. You can't talk about it too much. You can't put it in your life too much. You can't get enough of the cross in your life. As the wind blows over a field of hay, laying down its stalks, so too must the wind of the cross affect us to the point that it is visible to all. How sad it is when the wind of the cross, the story of the cross blows upon us with no visible sign of change. Well, shouldn't you wait until Easter to really preach on the cross, Pastor? I would love to save this message for Easter, but I want to make sure that the cross is not just an event we discuss once a year, but it's the central theme to our existence as a church. We're here today, we're in this building today, not because some architect drew up a building or some people decided to gather. We're here today because there was a cross 2,000 years ago that points us to an opportunity to find salvation we preach Christ crucified we preach Christ crucified so Paul would say to this church in Corinth for the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified The Jews demand signs. The Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. In Paul's day, the Jewish culture was looking for a sign. They were looking for a sign of a miraculous messianic deliverance. They were looking for... They were looking for something to deliver them, like they were delivered out of Egypt. They were looking for this type of deliverance to take them out from under the hand of the Roman authority, but they were not looking for the cross. 
They were looking for a get-out-of-Egypt kind of experience. They wanted signs. They wanted miracles and wonders that fit into their narrative of what God was. In Mark chapter 8, verse number 11, Jesus references this. The Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. Mark would continue, but he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. The cross of Christ was a stumbling block to the Jews. What the Jews had come to expect and want was not in line with what the cross and the crucified Christ was. The cross was ugly. The cross was brutal. The cross was weak. The cross was pitiful. And so Paul said it was a stumbling block to the Jews. The Jews saw this cross, this Christ crucified As an offense, it was a scandal. They couldn't get past their own narrative of who God was. There was also another side to the social pendulum of Paul's day. Not only did the Jews want a sign, but the Greeks, the other dominant segment of a cultural ideology, sought significance and religious expression through wisdom and philosophy. Paul knew this as he was a well-educated man. The Greek culture valued the pursuit of wisdom, usually expressed in high academic philosophical terms. So much so that the philosophers of his day invited Paul to speak at a meeting because of the fresh new viewpoint that Paul seemed to be talking about concerning Jesus Christ and resurrection. And so Acts chapter 17 talks about these philosophers. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, Paul. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Aragapagus, saying, may we know that this new teaching is that you are presenting For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. But the cross to the Greeks was foolishness and folly. The cross seemed illogical. It had no bravado to it. It lacked a storyline and a heroic qualities that one could be proud of. It was weak and it was pathetic. Paul would have known firsthand the Jews' desire for a sign because he himself was a devout Jew following the Jewish law and the customs. Paul would also have known where the Greeks were coming from because he had studied Greek philosophy. So much so that we often quote in our Bible Not just the words of Paul, but we're quoting words of Socrates and Aristotle Aristotle and Plato and others because Paul knew philosophy. However, with the firsthand knowledge 
this firsthand knowledge of both a Jew, what it means to be a Jew, and what it means to be a Greek philosopher. Paul is quick to make sure the Corinthian church knows, for the Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom, but I am going to preach Christ crucified. I'm going to keep preaching Christ crucified, he said, but it's a stumbling block to the Jews, and it's folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, it's Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Lest we too quickly cast judgment on the Jews and the Greeks, let us consider ourselves in light of their position I think we too can find ourselves like the Jews and look for signs before we want to believe in something. We look for signs that will give us the faith that we need to really believe God. We look for signs before we really step out into the direction that God has called our life. God, give me a sign. Give me something that then I'll follow you. Jesus was the one that said signs follow. We don't follow signs. But I think if we're honest, we look for signs a lot of times to tell us what kind of direction we need to go. But Paul said, let me tell you, you can look for a sign, but the greatest thing that you could ever know is that Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross, and he did it for you. If you ever wanted direction in your life, look at the cross. If you ever wanted to know where you should go, look at the cross. Oh, hallelujah. And so, I want to tell you that, wow, I hope you get the sign you're looking for. And I hope you get the sign that you've been praying for. Today, all I have to really tell you is that Christ was crucified. This man, Jesus Christ, was crucified. He bled and he died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. I could preach to you a lot of things. I could preach to you about a lot of signs in the heavens. I could preach to you a lot, uh, about a lot of things happening in our world, but I come to just preach that Christ was crucified, and that is enough. And I think we're not so far removed from the viewpoint of the Greeks. We, too, can try to make sense of Christianity before we embrace it. We try to make sense of it before we embrace it. We want to weigh it all out next to reason. We want to weigh it all out next to science. We want to weigh it all out next to culture. And if it lines up with all of that, I might believe. That's the Greek viewpoint. It all has to make sense, and then I'll really believe. You know what? I get that. I understand that pragmatic way of thinking. I understand why that's important. And I hope at the end of the day, it all makes sense to you at some point. I hope that you can connect the dots. You can connect enough dots in your life that to satisfy all your doubts and all your questions. 
But today, all I have to really offer you is the message of a crucified Christ. I don't know that it makes sense to everything that you're reasoning and everything that you doubt. But Paul said, I don't know what to tell you other than that Christ was crucified. So Paul, who knew philosophy, Paul, who knew Judaism, said, as much as I want to affirm you in these things, I have to tell you, we simply preach Christ crucified. For some, it's not the sign they want. For others, it's not the insight they want. But he said in 1 Corinthians 1.24, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is, or Christ, the power of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. Whether you are a Jew or a Greek, it doesn't matter what your perspective is. You may be looking for a sign, but I want to tell you today that Christ is the power of God. You may be looking for wisdom, but Christ is the wisdom of God. Through Christ that we have come to find the power to overcome sin. It's through Christ that we have the reason to walk uprightly in the wisdom of God. It's in a crucified Christ that we have the power through his spirit. It's through a crucified Christ that we have wisdom through the spirit. And here's why the cross works. Here's why a crucified Christ works And why it's enough. For Paul said, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God's foolishness is enormously smarter than the collective wisdom and understanding of all humanity. You take the collective understanding, the collective knowledge of 7 billion people. Think about that. The the collective knowledge of 7 billion people plus the internet. Because we know the internet knows everything. You take the collective knowledge of this world. And God's foolishness is enormously smarter than all of that. God's weakness is exponentially stronger than all the world's armies combined. Imagine putting all the armies of the world together to form a super army. All the U.S. might. All of Russia's military might. All of China's might, all of Israel's might, all the bombs, all the guns, all the nuclear missiles. God's weakest moments are massively stronger than all the force of military power in this world. That's what Paul's saying. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God's worst day is infinitely better than our best day. 
That's good to know. You know what God's worst day was? God's weakest day was? It was the cross. Yet the cross is still the greatest event humanity has ever seen. God was at his most foolish and at his weakest at the cross, but it was infinitely wiser and infinitely stronger than anything men could do. And Christ was crucified. And his crucifixion brought salvation and it brought deliverance, uh, not just uh, from something in this life, uh, but Christ's crucifixion brought deliverance uh, from eternal damnation and eternal death. Uh, Christ's cross uh, was infinitely wiser and infinitely stronger than anything man can produce. The cross of Calvary has overcome human wisdom. It has power to overcome anything in our life. God's wisdom works. God's power works. The cross works. So guess what? We still preach a crucified Christ. Just as Paul did thousands of years ago, he said, you can keep looking for your sign if you want to. You can keep trying to look for wisdom and philosophy if you want to, but I'm just going to keep preaching Christ because I'm not sure if you're ever going to find the sign that satisfies you. I'm not sure if you're ever going to be able to make sense of everything to satisfy you, but all I've come to do is just preach Christ uh, crucified to you because it works. Oh, hallelujah. That's why Paul would say it. He would say in 1 Corinthians 15 as he's closing the book, he said, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved. He's saying not only is it for this life, but you're going to be saved by the gospel. You're going to be saved by the crucified Christ. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. If there's not anything else you get out of this message, Christ died for your sins. That is enough. I don't know what kind of sign you need. I don't know what you need to have to to make sense of what's going on in your life. But Christ died for your sins oh hallelujah and he was buried he was buried and that he rose again the third day so just as Christ died we too die through the act of repentance just as Christ died we too die through repentance repentance turning our life to him, looking to him, bowing our knee to him, asking him to forgive us, asking him to be our Lord and Savior. We repent of our sins, and just as Christ was buried, we too are buried in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus. And those sins that we've been carrying are washed away, and we begin a new life with him. And just as Christ rose again, we too rise to walk in newness of life 
as the breath of God is breathed into our lives through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which comes with evidence of speaking in another language. Just as he died, was buried, and rose again, we too die to our old man, our sinful man. We are buried. We bury that sinful man in the waters of baptism. And his spirit breathes into us just like he breathed into Adam. And Adam came up out of the ground and became a living soul. So too, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God breathes into us. And we we rise to walk in newness of life. We preach Christ crucified because it works. We preach Christ crucified because it works. I'm not going to have you wave your hand because everybody's testimony is personal. But I could guarantee you in this place, there are people who have bypassed the wisdom of man And have been set free from addiction. You've been set free from chains that bind you. You've been delivered from tragedy. You've went through some very difficult times. And the wisdom of men and the the things of this world would tell you otherwise. But somehow you found a cross. And the cross actually made a difference in your life. Why do we keep preaching a crucified Christ? Because it works. It's worked for thousands of years that anyone who wants to see their life change can bow their knee at the cross, can bow their knee to a Savior who died on the cross for your sins. And so we cling to the cross. We look at what Christ did on the cross and we say, if it weren't for his cross, I couldn't make it. If it weren't for his bloodshed, there's no way I'm making it in this world. But because he was crucified, I can find a new life. We preach Christ crucified because we see his love in that crucifixion. We know what real love looks like. And that's why we preached Christ crucified. That's why Paul would tell the Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. What does he say? To the Jew first and also to the Greeks. The gospel is simply the good news about the man, Jesus Christ, who died, was buried, and rose again. Those who insist that we must change the emphasis of the gospel because people can't relate to it today must realize that people of Paul's day couldn't relate to it either. This preaching of a crucified Christ was a stumbling block. To the Jews. It was folly. Our culture is no different. But in 2019, we're still going to preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified because it is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God.
Charles Spurgeon said, If you stood in a senate of emperors or amidst a parliament of philosophers and only told them of the God that came in human flesh and loved and lived and died to redeem mankind, you would have told them a great mystery and a profounder secret that reason could discover. Be not ashamed then amid the intellectual pride of this boastful age. Christ needs to be preached crucified. Your life, the impact of the gospel on your life is because Christ was crucified. Would you stand with me this morning? In the 1700s, Isaac Watt, who wrote Joy to the World, wrote this song called Alas and Did My Savior Bleed. Some of you have been in church a while. You probably know the words to this song. He wrote, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. In the late 1800s, Ralph Hudson would add this refrain. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. I can remember singing this song as a kid, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. I didn't see it any other place. It wasn't in signs in the sky. It wasn't in the wisdom of men, but it was at the cross that we begin to see the light. It's at the cross that we begin to make sense of things in our life. It's at the cross, at the cross, that the burden of my heart, the weight of sin begins to roll away. It was there by faith, by faith, by faith. I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Several years ago, song was written by Chris Tomlin and Matt Redman, and we sing it in our church. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide, where all the love I've ever found comes flowing, comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe all 
to you. I owe all to you, Jesus. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless, where my heart had peace with God and forgiveness, where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down at the cross, at the cross. I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you where your love ran red and my sin washed white. I owe all to you. I owe all to you. Here my hope is found. Here on holy ground. Here I bow down. Here I bow down. Here arms open wide. Here you save my life. Here I bow down. Here I bow down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe all to you. I owe all to you. What does the cross mean for you? Is the cross a stumbling block? Is the cross foolishness? Or could it have greater significance for you today? Could you find the power of God today? Could you find deliverance today? Could you find restoration today? Could you find reconciliation today? Would you be willing to repent of your sins today? Would you be willing to be baptized in his name today? Do you want to receive his spirit today? Could you find the wisdom of God? Do you need an answer in your life? Do you need direction in your life Would you bow your heart to God and say, God, take control of the direction and the decisions of my life. We preach Christ crucified because Christ crucified is our only hope. It's the most powerful display of love in this world. It bypasses any sign. It bypasses any philosophy. Because love is the greatest thing in this world. The world is reaching for it. The world's trying to find it. They're trying to grasp at all kinds of things to find some kind of love. And there it is at the cross. At the cross. The greatest love you'll ever know is at the cross. I want to pray for you before I invite you to come. Lord, in this moment today... God, we look to you. We look to your work on the cross. We look to the fact that you suffered. We look to the fact that you bled. We look to the fact that you went through great agony on the cross, wishing at times that you didn't have to go through it, even petitioning that if it was not your will, that it could somehow pass. But Lord, you went through the cross because you loved us so much. And God, today, while we scramble for trying to make sense and we look for signs, we try to put you in some kind of narrative that makes sense. God, we try to find some way of connecting dots in our society, in our culture, and in our uh, philosophy, Lord. But I'm praying today that somebody would just surrender to the cross. 
whether they're a Jew or a Greek, whether they maybe lean towards looking for signs or maybe they lean towards looking, God, for the, the wisdom of men. I pray, God, we would all find ourselves at the cross, kneeling before it, realizing that it's stronger than the strongest of men. It's wiser than the wisest of men. God, I'm praying today that somebody would repent of their sins. I'm praying somebody would go under the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus for the remission of their sin. I pray somebody would be filled with your spirit today because that's why you went to the cross, Lord, so we could participate in your gospel. Oh, God. Oh, God, you want to give us direction in this room today. I pray somebody would have the courage to step out of their pew and walk to this altar to say, God, I need to kneel at the cross. I I need your wisdom in my life. I'm tired of fighting this fight without you. I'm tired of fighting this, God, with my own reasoning and with my own decision making. God, I need the cross today. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.